Hello, tribe, and welcome to the High Order Podcast. This podcast is all about finding yourself through mindset and movement. We dive into the philosophy of life, meaning, purpose, and the importance of physical activity. Enjoy the journey. So, hello, tribe. Welcome back. Today, we have Scott Votello up on our podcast. He's got a pretty awesome story. He's done a lot in his life at, at his age, um, including an entire club where its entire purpose is no purpose. And <laughs> <laughs> he has a website called becometheflow.com as well, so make sure you go check that out. Uh, but what we're going to talk about is a little bit about his story, his journey, how he got into you know movement, uh, living in the present, and kind of where he is now, where he's out in Salt Lake City, and he's living out of his car and living life to the fullest. So welcome, Scott. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So let's dive out. Let's, let's go back to uh, where you grow up. Where'd you grow up? Okay. So I, I grew up in, in Rhode Island, uh, Coventry, Rhode Island. Um, I've only had two houses there. The first one I lived in until I was three, so I don't really remember it. It was still Coventry. And then the second one was um, off Hopkins Hill Road by Bishnock uh, Farm, for anyone that's local. And it was really nice. It was like pretty close to town. Like I could ride my bike a mile into town or two miles to school. Um, but I was still like kind of in the woods. I could ride to the woods. And so Coventry was really nice. If you went to the west, it was woods. If you went north, it was turned into Warwick and then Cranston and then the city. And then south was kind of still woods and until it got to richiness um, by the coast. And then ocean was everywhere. So that was really nice. Um, I grew up in a really good neighborhood with a good family. Uh, I, my, both my parents are accountants. Um, so they're they kind of buttoned up, but they're also they're also kind of they're also pretty free. They they love their rock and roll, and they they really get off concerts, and we can really go dance and bang bodies hard at uh, at concerts and stuff like that. And I I have an older brother, he's four years older than me, um, and uh, we had some kids in our neighborhood that ranged from my age to his age. Um, so we had manhunt going and and play outside. Heck yeah. Life. And my family was very competitive, so ping pong and basketball and uh, what's it called? Uh, the one where you shoot from the free throw line and, and you like make that lightning. You gotta, huh? Lightning. Lightning, maybe. I don't think that's what we called it, but where you stand like right, be, you have to you have to get the ball in before the person in front of you to knock them out or whatever. Yep, we played that a bunch. Uh, they got me into sports like baseball, basketball. Um, when we were younger, um, they turned me pretty competitive, and I feel like they, my parents, really fostered. It's weird. So there's this idea I, I battle with um, of how much of the world is manifested for me and how much of the world I manifest. Um, and so, like when I was a kid, I was pretty good at things and sports. So I was praised by my parents for that. And like, wow, you're so good at stuff. Uh, and then that would boost my self-confidence and a boost self-confidence makes you better at things. So like my initial 
goodness then was matched by encouragement, which made my goodness more and like kept encouraging it. So I had the high level of self-confidence through my life, which probably it actually uh, resulted in like probably too much anger and like too much like I'm in control, like my shit should be yeah. how it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that resonated when I was young, like saying like zip it, like awesome parent powers. My parents showed me like R-rated movies when I was like four. And <laughs> I was like saying zip it and like going through exorcist movies and stuff like that at a super early age. So it probably, probably wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> but like, it's cool. Cause like, I'm really adept and like, okay with like things and like seeing things and being okay in different situations. Cause it's like, I was showing some shit, I guess, but, and then that kind of advanced, like you're seeing that when you're four or five and then whatever you have to like, just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, it seems like you sort of ran the the gamut in terms of like the ranges of skills that a, a child could be exposed to and learn, you know, at such a young age that would really help you uh, navigate the world, you know, for the most part, especially yeah. and, for someone doing what on, you're doing. On the inside, I was really into uh, art drawing. I was a realist drawer. I would just sit in my room and like see something like, I'm going to try to put this on this paper and like try to fix how perspective works and like sit in my room in the corner and then try to be able to hold up a piece of paper. Like, yeah, that looks the same. Um, <laughs> Impressionist. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's funny. Cause I remember like, yeah. And back in, uh, when I was growing up, I always did like all these, the, the, these little tasks that like, uh, I got really good at, but they had no real value in the real quote unquote real world in the sense of like, I was really good at hacky sack at devil sticks at skateboarding, uh, juggling, yo-yo. I could still do like tons of yo It was like all stuff that like is cool and fun, but it won't ever get you anywhere. Like, it, I mean, I'm not saying it won't, but I'm saying in general. But that's sort of what you're caught in too. Oh, you can't hear? How about now? Check now. So we're on, for the record too, what we're gonna do is, uh, let me swap you over. Hold on one second. Um, yeah, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap you over. So we're doing this over Zoom, guys. So we apologize for the audio coming in and out. Um, but give us one second and we're going to fix that. So what I was saying uh, before is, you know, growing up and being in elementary school through high school, I also had all those little tiny, like, tasks that I was really good at, from hacky sack to devil sticks to skateboarding to juggling. And they're all little tiny, like, fun and even yo-yo. And I was really good at them, and it kind of gave me that self-confidence as well that you talk about. And it's funny that you don't realize that. Um, yeah, so um, so I used a term earlier that you jumped off on called a realist. Um, and I was uh, referring that to the type of drawing I was doing, the type of artist I was. Okay. The t term I would use for the, what you're describing is called autotelic experience. Um, it's any experience that you do just for the sake of doing that doesn't have any real purpose, but it does have positive effects like self confidence. Um, and it's something we don't, we don't notice, but then once you, once you realize the philosophy, which I hope to get into later with the flow is you can start applying it, really recognizing it and, uh, using it to your, um, which is, which is awesome. It's really great that you uh, had those skills when you were that young. I didn't, I wouldn't say I had as many of those skills when I was, 
Like I climbed trees and I made forts and that, and I could like juggle, juggle two balls, like, like this style where you pass and catch. Um, when I was playing baseball and stuff like that, but it wasn't really until my college years when I met this wizard guy, Jack, um, who really enlightened me to the experience of flow. He didn't even have the psychology, but he just knew it as an embodiment. And then later in our experience, we found it as a psychology that was already uh, made, uh, which is really interesting. Um, so now you're in college at URI, uh, and you meet, is it Jack, is it Winter? No, no, his last name is Boynton. Oh, sorry, I got the wrong guy. Boynton? So that's... Boynton. Okay. Uh, okay. So how'd you meet Jack? <laughs> so that, that's funny. Um, so the... We were, by this, by this stage, I had... Um, my, I had a changing point in my younger life when I was doing those sports. Um, and then eventually in, in high school, I was smoking weed. Then when I was 16, a guy at my first job introduced me to mushrooms. And uh, he got me into mushrooms heavy early. Like, we just started, I don't know if 16 is early, but like, figure like from what I've heard, like, you can definitely do it earlier. But the amount I was doing and have done is is pretty. That's uh, uh, Mama. If you hear this, I'm sorry. <laughs> so you might want to turn it off now. But uh, and uh, so so a lot of experience with that from 16 to later. Um, my senior year, I decided to quit all my sports. I was doing in tennis in high school. The girl had mentioned cheerleading and that she learned how to spot someone in a backflip. So I was like, like, show me, teach me. So she sent me to her gym and they taught me how to backflip. And that was kind of like mind shattering. Like I had already taught myself how to front flip. And then about seeing all these people, like throw people across your room and do awesome tricks was like, okay, I'm doing this now. And so I did cheerleading my senior year and then editively for three years uh outside of school uh while coaching younger team level cheerleaders and that eventually brought me to being more focused on movement than anything else it kind of just like i was already a bodybuilder and working out for a beforehand because i was like body shame self like being a little shorter just wanting to like make myself as aesthetically pleasing as possible um, and really getting caught up in that. But then the second I went into cheerleading, I just figured like learned that I, I had no movement capacity. Like I could deadlift 425 pounds, squat 360 and bench 25. But like I couldn't sit up around with my hands in between my legs and pick up both my legs right. and do circles. Yeah. Like there's these little things that required of this program like i couldn't kneel on my knees sit on my ankles and lift my knees off the ground yeah. and rock up on my I, that I, was a request sorry to interrupt that. a really quick question though you coming from the, the this sort of bodybuilding sort of bubble if you will and then going into the dance cheerleading sort of bubble was it the requirements set upon you by the new sort of bubble you were in that that made you f feel like 
it was a competition and I want to get better at this? Or was it something else that made you make that switch? Because a lot of bodybuilders and people that are in that sphere, they don't really care if they can do a Cossack squat or whatever you want to call it or, or plie or anything anything like that. They don't care. They, they know they can't do it and they just don't care. You know. So I was doing the bodybuilding for aesthetics, but I was still highly into uh, being athletic. And so my paradigm of athleticism was limited because I just had grown up with just like you run fast, you hit things, you throw things, you like you just do stuff and you get stronger and then you go work out and that makes you stronger. And that's working out is, is shoulder pressing, squats, headlifts, chest presses, like everything with weights, like all these, what I'm supposed to get into later, what I call uh, uh, contraction exercises, the, the showing muscles, the Look, I moved this here. Yeah. Did you see that? <laughs> I, I, gravity. That was so awesome. And, like, it is. Like, it's really powerful. And it makes you be able to claim your environment. Like, if you want to pick something up, you can. You know, it's not like you can't. If like, you want to open something, you can. You're not limited. But, like, if you're only focused on the contraction instead of the eccentric actions, the, the control, the openness, the vulnerability, the ability to open and control and arrange your goal of function becomes limited and you just you have one thing you're really good at and so i had a goal of aesthetics but i also had a goal of athleticism so when i saw real and i thought i was an athlete and then i saw people doing stuff that i couldn't in any way like when i first i went there to go learn a backflip and they tried to have me do a back handspring and and the back handspring into a back you jump up straight and there's two points you can rotate. You can either crunch your ribs down and that's forward torsion. That's a front flip where you can posteriorly tilt your hips up. That's exterior torsion. And then for the front flip is when you hold your hip, your hips still and you tuck your ribs. Back flip is when you hold your ribs still and your hips up. You do them both at the same time, up jump. And you don't rotate, but you do crunch. And that's what a lot of people do to train tucks, but it's like super wrong. It teaches you not to do a tuck, like because you're not flipping. So you're supposed to jump and then you're supposed to do some ab dip ground later that are that then you pair together. Like tuck jump is not okay. If you learn how to do a tuck, don't do a tuck jump. Opposite. Um, but then so I just I just learned that I was like Competent, basically. Like I was trying to do this back handspring, and it requires you to open fully at yeah. and arch. And I couldn't do it. Like I would do back handspring, and then halfway through it, my hips would be stuck here in this bent position, not fully open up over like a tuck. So eventually, they were just like, "Fuck it, just do the tuck." Like, like we normally. <laughs> Screw your like, joint health. Just do the tuck, man. <laughs> just had to do the tuck. And eventually, like, year, like a year and a year and a half, I was open enough through back bends and stretching that my back handspring looked like somewhat okay. <laughs> like, not like a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and, and so that, it was just a, in that first day of just seeing these people and like seeing people that were weaker than me. They couldn't lift what I could lift. But they could throw a person up in the air, catch them by one foot in one hand, and hold them there. And I couldn't do that. I was stronger than them, but 
but I couldn't do that. But clearly, I wasn't actually like they're stronger than me. They can handle weight and energy better than I can handle it. I can handle stiff bars that yeah, have weight. I was going to say, you could define strength under these terms in this context in a number of ways, right? You're good, you're good at lifting a bar with weight on and off the floor better than he is. Is that strong? Yes or no compared to. You, you know, know, and I, I will say this too is, is like legitimately two hours ago. Sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, like legitimately two hours ago, I before we uh, hit a workout, I, I said to Matt, I'm like, my legs are physically strong. Like I can deadlift and squat and a pretty darn good amount of weight, higher than most people can. But my functionality, especially in a lot of unilateral movements, and my range of motion is just not there. And I'm like, I have it's, it's a it's a useless lower body. I mean, it's not useless, but I mean. Um, I trained weights for so long and then started getting into movement and getting into acro later on. And then that's really helped me open up, but that's exactly what you're kind of talking about. It's the same thing. It's that, Hey, this is strong because I could lift more weight than all these people. But like you said, it's trying to sit my butt onto my heels used to be like impossible or painful, you know? And then you start realizing, well, yeah, like what's what's the purpose now? What's who cares if I could deadlift five hundred pounds? That doesn't that doesn't matter. I I can do that if someone has an emergency and I need to flip a car and I have a couple other people, yeah, that works then that one time. But my everyday life, I'm not walking around doing five hundred pound deadlifts for like, you know, it's just there's no purpose. People, you're not like 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 unless you're like a warrior, like a training MMA warrior, like or like a sports athlete like that's really being competitive like your strength and power doesn't actually mean anything no like, right. doesn't translate it's just like, into real world experience yeah it, it's security it's it's a root strength it's like mm. the time push or shove if a boulder's on getting that boulder off you might not like mm-hmm. or if the boulder's important i might be off but instead, if you don't have that strength, you're going to be sitting there like, oh, my God, this is so terrible. Someone help us. Like, like instead of being yeah. able to help yourself. Right. Like that's what being useful, as you say on your website. You discuss oh. that term being useful on your website, useful to your friends, to your community. You want to be wanted, you said, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, what we're talking about now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What is that energy actually for? Like, why are you, why are you learning how to use it? <laughs> what is it showing to other people and yourself? Is that you're strong and athletic? They see like, wow, this person, like, if I need them to move my, they can. Not only can they move their, my couch, they're gonna do it by themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a very genetic and biologically sort of inherited ancestral, whatever word you want to use, type of thing to feel the need to be useful to uh, to others around you, to your tribe or to your community. Um, and it feels strange when, um, uh, or it makes sense when the people who are the most unhealthy seem to be affected the most by just daily activities and they don't yeah. appear to be um, the most useful in a broad definition of the term to to humanity, to your community, to everyday life, really. And, um, yeah. yeah. So, so let's go, uh, let's dive back into that. Continue on that story of meeting Jack, the wizard. So I, I joined the cheerleading. I'd gotten into that whole new world with now, like I'm 
a whole new version of openness and respectness has happened. Like before, I was very locked to like literally line movements, like, <laughs> like this up here, like Linear. like this up, flip it and press. Yeah, and now like okay, like I have this leg here, and I gotta pick it up and twirl it, and it just caused this new openness. And it just allowed me, I was the second boy cheerleader in my high school. The first one was gay. Um, and so then it was like this, through high school, I always had of like being able to be a group, but not necessarily finding myself wanting to be. Like I just had two, to, uh, Colin, Matt Fusco, and Frank Fields, like three close friends in high school. And besides that, it wasn't like I, I would go to some parties, but like there, I'd be like, why am I here? And then finally, when I went to the cheerleading group, it was okay, like here's my group. And then in high school, that had then made me then have to challenge and deal with people that thought that whatever it was, and then be like, like okay, fine, you're going to call this gay backflip, boom, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can't. Yeah. Sorry, like, you want to come? Like I can teach you, uh, and and then so that just started this level of openness and just being okay with this diversity, and then got to be addicted to movement. And then so I went to college, mechanical engineering at University of Rhode Island, and my first semester I did nothing, nothing. All I did was work out with my friend Ten. We got uh, <laughs> gymnastics. We would hang them from the bleachers, and we would run up hills, bump up stairs and do calisthenics. And I got really into calisthenics because I got, I was just basically a switch. It was like weights, cool. Got good at that. I have strength now. It's not functional calisthenics. I'm going to do cal. I'm, my weights are people. And, and then, so I got into calisthenics. We just did nonstop calisthenics and I, um, out that semester i like passed calculus and i passed physics because i passed the final test i failed the first three and then i was like yeah my buddy for this last one because if you pass the last one it it goes in and fixes all the other ones so i was like yeah i might as well try so i gotta be on that one and then uh i didn't hand in my lab notebook like i just had no motivation at this point like i didn't know why i was in like, i i need to know why i'm something to do it like i was just going there and i became an engineer because i had people tell me to do that because i was good at math and science and i was smart and it was like what you're supposed to if you're smart is engineering it's it's important it's, and it's new and upcoming so i did that and i like hated chemistry and i just like just worked out basically and i passed math because i was good at it um but then that semester i dropped out at the end and i took a year and a half off where i became a personal trainer and it was basically just a bum. Like, I was just, like, lived at my parents' house and, like, smoked weed and did drugs and jerked off and, like, fucked up all my personal training, late gigs. And um, I basically realized, like, I'm not, I wasn't ready for school. I wasn't ready for real life either. Like, I might as well just do school. <laughs> and so I decided to go to school very undecided with that i was taking i was kind of come back for kinesiology first because i was into movement and i'd become a personal trainer i love that 
And then, but the first first class trip was just bullshit. It was just this is how many people drive, died cigarettes in 2014. It's not relevant today. Like, how many people are dying today? Like, how many people are smoking today? Like, let's do current statistics. Like, like cool. Like, I got, I got to memorize that. Like, that's a good thing to think about. But I, I have no need to recall that to you ever. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> not important. Yeah. And it was just scattered learning that had no coherence, no, no ground, no explanation of where it came from. Where all my math and engineering has a steady ground that started in first kindergarten when they taught you one, two, three, and then taught you how to add, like it all built up from there. Like there's nothing new coming in, just random info now. And I hated that. And I can't, I don't find myself that way or learn by memorization without a purpose. Um, so then I went into thinking about going into the army. I was like so close to joining the air force, went through their, uh, their tests. And I like got like almost a perfect score on that as test. Um, did their physical and then like the day when I was like about to sign it they were like okay so here it says you didn't smoke weed like if you want security clearance like later in the future it's really important that you're honest right now like it's not like an end all be all thing but if you smoke weed in the past just say it now so we know you're not a liar basically in the future um, when we catch that you did do that and so I said yes and that was basically my release of being like, because I was doing it for money. At the time, I was doing it to find a way to get out of my parents' home, have someone pay for my school, a bunch of new skills, and like have like free housing, basically, um, on campus. And, and but I didn't really believe them necessarily. And so then I was like, when I made that decision of, yes, I do smoke weed, it gave me a release of, okay, like, I love drugs, I love independence, like, I can't just say okay to the task that I don't believe in, like, I can't even understand why I need to repeat back, like, how many people died from cigarettes in 2014, never mind, like, go kill someone because of an order, like, uh, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I I mean, I'm going to cut you off one one second, or uh, I'm going to jump in here, I I mean, it, it's I kind of followed a, a very similar life path. Like I didn't want to go to college because I didn't want to write essays. I was good at math and science. I was not good at English. I didn't like reading. I didn't like writing. So I'm like, well, what's what can I do to not do essays and do all this other stuff? I'm like, I'm going to join the military. And that's what I did. I was like, this is a good way that I get out of my parents' house because I was truly independent at such a young age. I worked, you know, started working when I was 12 years old, doing odd jobs and yard work. And that was my focus. And it was the same thing, you know. Um, the same time I was in the same situation. I wanted out. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see things. I wanted to experience life. And I'm like, ah, oh, military, this will do work out great. But you know, at the same time, and, it, and it, it worked wonders for me and I'm glad I did it. But there was also something that th- there's a lot of like rule following and, and, and doing things that you don't always 100% believe in. And, uh, I totally 100% understand that, Scott, by the way. Yeah. Would have, if I believed in the necessarily like the American system and like our purpose for like why we're overseas, I would have felt much more comfortable because I felt, I still feel like it would have been an awesome experience for me. Like I would have become like a very, like it would have ensured my discipline. Like I would have learned a ton of skills, like, I would have crushed that shit and like gone so hard at it. Like 
Like probably would have been great for me. I was selling out something. If I was in a, like I'm all for having like a mandated couple of years of discipline yeah. for not necessarily going across teams or anything, just doing stuff locally, like going and helping release or, or anything like that. And then learning discipline, learning how to use weapons, learning, learning all these skills that all of our citizens should know. Um, so I wish like parts of me wish I did it, but we're also really happy. I did it because I'm really happy where I am now. And that might be somewhere else if I had gotten that discipline. Um, yeah, so then I was going and I was about to do accounting or business. Just uh, after that, I was said no to the Air Force and I was going to do like, oh, like I do numbers, like business is general, like do anything after this. Like I'll do business. I'll learn how numbers work in the economy um, instead of abstractly, um, I guess abstractly in the economy. Um, and so I took like, just took a psychology class. Like it wasn't even a business class, psychology class to just get credit during the summer. And then I listened to my first, uh, my first YouTube speaker, Manly P Hall, who is like this, super woo, electricity, energy, pulling you forth stuff, like all over the place, like religious, uh, like religious learner who just learns all the religions, just trying to pull them all together. And I would just listen to that on my minute drive to school every day there and back um, while taking the psychology class. And that kind of got me more, it was talking positive psychology and like thinking. It was my first to uh, thoughts and how they can affect your mind. Um, and then that, that gave me my decision of like, okay, like, gonna do school creation. I like mathematics. Like I would rather do a, a act of creation, like engineering than, um, business. Um, so I switched back to engineering. I just basically restarted school. Um, I like reordered some classes. I took a Eastern religion class, which like opened me up even further. It, like finally gave me a philosophy I could like look at and like not look at them all as a whole, but like, because their main thing was this triage of Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism, where Confucianism is like, how do we, Taoism is like, how do we let the operate itself? And then Buddhism is like, how do we plan all of this for our next life or to escape life? And they use this like triage of philosophies to do their life instead of like trying to pick one or say one is for every, was so that was really interesting. Can you, can and then you, so can, that, can you say that again? Up. Can you just not, can you explain each one of those again? Cause you slightly cut out and I think it's definitely important. Um, can you just go back through those, the, the, the triage and uh, which each one had its purpose? Yeah, of course. So the tree uh, was, so it started with Hinduism, but it wasn't quite part of Chinese triage it kind of stayed in india and hinduism turned into it started as a verdaz then hinduism then buddhism um and then china had its confucianism and taoism and confucianism is the act that we run our society and it's that main idea of having a well-rounded indiv individual that knows writing poetry 
um, about the stars, about mapping stuff, about systems, about all these different things that society uses so they can be useful to society. And that's like, they finally gave me the purpose of like, why do we learn? And that, that was like their answer that their whole philosophy is like, are we in school basically? Like why, why are we learning all this random information is so we can try to be better in society. So we have this broad knowledge before we try to integrate into any individual path, because just having one singular pretty limited in our usefulness might make us really good at one thing. And then if we really cooperate really good, it could be awesome. But like our levels of cooperation, that great. So like we all need to be good at a lot. Um, so that's Confucianism. Um, and that's, so that's operating uh, how to operate society. Taoism was more so how do we allow society to operate itself? And that is saying the, the best leader is the leader that l- leads the people, makes the people think the people are leading themselves. Like you, you shouldn't be in like, I'm in charge, follow me this way. You guy in the back who's just like making sure everyone's going the right way. The wrong way, you run up to be like, yo, we should probably go that way. Like, you think that way works better? Like, I don't know. And then run to the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Instead of the leader doesn't take the, credit for it either. Yeah, exactly. Not important. Like, who? Did, yeah. Just, it, it sounds like um, Alan. You've been listening to Alan Watts, no? He, he came in. He came in very early. He actually yeah. fucked me up pretty hard yes. <laughs> with right my on. society. Because <laughs> he he made me question whether like what is good and bad and like is good, being bad okay? Yeah. Um, and and that like really fucked me up for a while. Like it made me make some decisions that were just like were, were not coherence, not bringing energy together. We're just selfish. Being like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm God. Like, <laughs> this is part of the you wants. Like, <laughs> like, whatever. You can justify anything through Alan Watts' philosophies. Yeah. Um, and and then so, uh, where was I just the third? Uh, you're looking at the third part of the triage. Triage thing. So so then, Confu- Taoism is that is that letting let things be let the river do its own work let if you have a rock that moved just let it eventually be moved it will <laughs> uh and like that type of philosophy the act of non-doing um so a lot of our problems are problems that can be solved by not doing anything yeah. like um we talk about that on the podcast a number of times in, in various forms yeah yeah like it's it's and a lot of people stress about don't even need to be done. And they stress about them for hours and then they never do them. They never even attempt to do them and eventually they forget about them. But all those hours of stressing about it were still there. Why were they there? It didn't matter. Like, clearly, you're still living. Yeah. Life still went on. <laughs> you never did that thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and then Buddhism is the final stage of how are we accumulate this to hopefully get to a... a out of life or to a back of life where we can do more for people. They use this triage to pick from in life. They say the cherry picking idea from the Bible that like people get upset about. No, it's a great idea. It's massive amounts of philosophy. Like don't subscribe to one, like pick the good parts, fuck the bad parts. Like 
<laughs> the bad parts are stupid. It was thousands of years old. Like, I don't need those parts, but this thought still rings true. This sentence is ringing in our souls. Like, this makes sense. Stoning people doesn't make sense. It doesn't ring, ring true in our souls anymore. So just scratch anything that has anything to do with stones, unless it has to do with stacking stones. Or like making walls or bricks, like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And it really taught me that it was like God. Like I was really upset with God at first. Like the idea of God, like I, yes, like it's like this is stupid. Like like uh, if you listen to Paul Check, I was reading things very um, uh, at the actual level, like for what they were. Like this tree was God, and it randomly set on fire and gave me divine truth. It's like Literally. maybe it didn't actually happen like that. Maybe it actually did. Like, like, and like uh, reading things as allergies and deeper into them, and how I was reading the message, just surface level, like that's bullshit. The world wasn't made in days. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, listen to it. Like, read it. It's a story. Like, um, yeah. So that that whole idea and getting me further into philosophies. Um, and then that semester I had was a really powerful semester. I had met, I had gotten into the Eastern religion. I had found Jack and then later my next mentor was really powerful, Bob Proctor. But first to conclude of how I found, um, me and Frank Fields were still tight in height in college. And so we were tripping. Um, and there was this like nice garden area that had like these rocks that you could and hop across in a good field. So we were just tripping and went over there. And um, as energies do, the energies attract like energies. So um, Jack just saw us there, and he walked up to us, barefoot, spinning his boy, and we're just like, yo, uh, you guys got a bowl? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I got a bowl. Good, I got a bowl. And so we started talking to him. Um, and he was just pretty unbelievable. Um, I should have just left him as the wizard so I could read stories about him. I dropped his full name. Um, so I can't, I can't really drop too many informations, but I'll, I'll do it as like a general aspect. He basically just blew my mind. He, he wasn't wearing shoes, a cell phone. He was taking like 26 credits in like neurobiology, um, he, he was taking some super high-level psychedelics, like candy, like just like breaks during class. He would go out in the field and take a quick like 10-minute session in the field and uh, micro-dosing. And all during that, he was getting like a 3-6. <laughs> uh, so I was just like, show me everything. Like you're my- – Mentor, like, is this guy related like, to Richard Alper by any chance? Huh? Is this guy related to Ramdas? <laughs> it sounds like. Oh no! You know Ramdas' story when he was a Harvard professor, what he was doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. a little bit. It's very, uh, very similar. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Repeat that. The thing uh, cut out. Sorry. Uh, he was uh, Ramdas started taking LSD and dosing people on L, right? Yep. Yeah, so very similar to that. He kind of started that whole sequence. Um, he got me into it, so then he taught me poor. And, he, and I had learned 
some koi just fire. Uh, which yeah. Fall on, you guys know what koi are? Fall on string. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. How do you spell it? Huh? Do you know how you spell it? Yeah, P-O-I. P-O-I? Okay, yeah. Yep, so he taught me how to do poi, which is just two balls on string. You can start with one ball on string, but typically two, like how a good, a good like, where you can really start with it, because now you're integrating both hemispheres, and you're cross-lateraling stuff, and you're doing a lot, and you're learning all your proprioception and your planes. Yeah, and, what, you're, what you're saying right now is really is really important. It's it's sort of like a um, it's like a bridge in in a lot of folks' minds who are sort of still um, not exposed to things outside of the conventional sporting realm in this country, and they don't they view this as just like silly play for children and for adults when they basically are unemployed, that type of thing. But let's let's talk about the actual like physiological benefits of it. But not just that, but just like why why is it fun, you know? And you kind of explained it a little bit there and why it's important too. So that's good. Oh important. And it's so physiological benefit. You can you can take an athlete and have him spin a poi. No is have him spin it and then try to make him go like this and take it while it's spinning and put it behind their back and keep spinning it. And then see oh, if yeah. they cannot hit them. <laughs> if they cannot yeah, hit themselves up. Then I can be like, Okay, you have really good proprioception. Like, let's teach you more skills. Like I'm going to make you hit yourself. Like, if <laughs> <laughs> you up and lost inside of and that means you're, 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 you're not fully with where elbow, where's your nose, exactly. where's your ball. Did you know where your balls are? If you hit them with a rope, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen. There, a uh, lot of the skills, that proprioceptive skill, that that's uh, the type of movement that you, you became attracted to outside of bodybuilding realm. It, it really fosters that those skills a lot, right? Those that neuromuscular connection, that proprioceptive coordination, all that stuff. Yeah. Right? You were lacking that, you know. We all are to some extent, but. And and then so he taught me enough to where I was able to spin fire, um, but I you only need like a couple moves that you up on like three moves like you only need one move you just got to, go to circle it you can circle it you can light it on while it's on fire you just can't hold it still it'll burn your hand um, but if you learn three moves you can have a low and movement with three moves um mm. the, then i didn't really find a true connection for that i had already had a juggling practice where i could juggle two things you pass to one throw, pass to throw, and you make a circle. It's called a wheel. Then I could do that with three. And then someone at my work taught me how to do the cascade, which is like the infinity sign, throwing switch hands to the, the under under the other. And then so once he's poi, I was like, well, there's already a poi guy. Like he walks around and it's poi. Like I don't want to just poi. Like I didn't really feel it. I knew I liked juggling. So I was like, what is juggling like he just showed me a whole world. if you have ball on rope and you have two of them <laughs> and then you have yeah. inflections compressions like he's a teacher like, yeah he now you have a ton of information that you can basically embed into your movement because right. it's all distinction fitting something with an internal rotation versus an external rotation is different mm. and you can see that it's different Spinning uh, in opposite directions is different. 
Yeah. Important that is. So there's all this like information embedding. Like if you want to like get technical with it, that your body's doing. Kind of the same as yoga postures. You're learning different yoga postures to embed different different alignments into your system. At least at least in my vision. Yeah, the, um, the fine motor skills that are required really, uh, I, w- I would say that they really p- place you closer into the present moment um, with activities like that, you know? Not a lot there's of a, there's movement a, skills. There's a, re- to... a physiological reason for that that's really cool um, that has to do with the flow. But so, so from there, he got me into um, flow. So that's what he called it. It was, it was flow arts. It, he has it from the hippie community, and it was held by the by the community of movers who do boy, all the festivals, circus-like movements, circus-like people, um, and so then I started juggling. I started. I took that next semester. That was my first semester getting into the. Uh, Eastern philosophy, finding Jack and finding Bob Proctor, who is basically a positive psychology guy who is all about goal setting. And he was like, basically, if you don't have a goal, you're not doing anything in life. If you're wandering. You're like fully Taoist. Um, and the, instead, I, so then I started goal setting. And so then I just started juggling, which is ultimate goal setting. It's like, okay, can I throw this behind my back? No. Behind my back. Yes. How often can I make that happen? Like, can I throw it from your back, catch it behind my back? Like all these different like things that you can just, if you have activity and patience, you can just notice that you're not doing like, Oh, like if I'm juggling here, I could also juggle here behind me or above me. Mm. Different things with my eyes closed, like little tasks alter that start enhancing that. And at this same time I had, um, my, girlfriend at the time at Blackline, so now I was slacklining uh, into this next semester. So this semester, isolation. Oh, uh, really important side or back note. When uh, my cheerleading broke, broke me super hard. They just pushed me and pushed me and wanted me to tricks with my strength, and I wanted to do that too, so I broke. And I eight sprained ankles in three years. Um, and eight, I just like... sprained ankles in three years? You had eight? Yeah, eight sprained ankles in three years that were never consulted or done anything with. So the, I would so just this get, sort of breaking process is is sort of like, uh, it's it, it seems like part of the formula, you know, that you 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 were brought to a breaking point in a discipline, and it's all information to learn to learn from, right? You know, I've been there too, you know. That pain teacher. Yeah, yeah, Andrew has too. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful thing. We can laugh about it now. <laughs> and I got even more into calisthenics, lower grade calisthenics. So I was into high expression calisthenics, muscle ups, uh, handsprings, flips, handstands. And then I got into animal moves, which are very low grade calisthenics, like just hitting like a deep squat, putting your hands to the side and shifting over a tiny bit, and then shifting over a tiny bit, or just like walking forward, up forward, under switching extending like all these little even slower calisthenics and i really got into slowness but this whole semester now i was juggling practicing these rolls and animal moves doing uh um and then just i was in school for engineering 
which was its own its own wildness of of information and just like absurdity basically uh and then that eventually led into the next summer i just developed a bunch of my own skills and my own like space and groundedness being okay with myself just walking around thing and just being okay with whatever i wanted to do in my space i could do regardless of where i was or who um taking off my shoes and like just being that oddball that people look at what the fuck is that and then just not caring that they're like that and almost getting a sense um self-confidence from them looking at like, i almost had this opposite effect of yeah that right <laughs> you're, you're seeing some weird shit right now yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I know what you're feeling i saw jack do this felt that <laughs> And, and then, so that summer he started having little like parties in the gardens and we would just go and trip and spin fire and dance and do slow activity. People would bring all their different props like hula hoops. And then I got a bunch of experience of hula hoops and, and handstands and all these, all these different. Things. And Scotty, um, sorry to interrupt before we get forward. Uh, I don't even know if we ever came out and said, I mean, how, how did Jack and or you def- or when someone asks you what that is, the flow activities, how, how would you describe it to them? I know we've been okay, talking yeah. a long time about it, but we haven't said it. Of course. Uh, so I was actually just, I'm going to take like two more sentences because then I'm going to hop into how flow has started. And like, um, so, so then he had us doing these activities in the forest. Um, and I just basically knew like, and felt in my soul, like everyone should be doing this. Like, I didn't know what it was. He didn't have an explanation for it. Like all he called it was flow arts. It was just these things that people do. And there's a group of them online. Join them. Like there's, there's a bunch of props. There's, there's rope darts. There's, there's poi, there's octopus, there's helio staffs, regular staffs, contact balls, juggling, like pins, there's, uh, aerial silks, hoops, like swings, black lines, like, there's all these things that are like you see in circuses a lot that are part low art. And that's how he introduced it to me. And that's how we knew it at first. Um, so then I knew it, I just, the same as he knew in, in a soul, like ever to be doing this, like benefiting me. I can feel this making me happier, more confident, more able to do things just faster. Like you have no idea how much you feel mentally when you can go from doing three balls to or four balls to when you first throw those four balls up and you can't even touch them, you just are overwhelmed by either you're juggling five with patterns and you're like, okay, I'm here now. Like I would do it before test to see how sharp I was. Like I'd have a bunch. Yeah. Of it's it's like activation test. potentiation, right? Like yeah. overload the weight before you unrack it and then just re-rack it and then take the weight off. And then you could do the weight feels actually lighter. You know, you're like priming your brain for this test you have coming up. Let's juggle some balls, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Am I, am I at five ball level right now? Yeah, I am. Cool. Like, like what else is there? And, and, and those types of things, just seeing how sharp I was, getting that essence. So then I knew that everyone needed uh, – so I started the into the phase of, like, I'm going to start a club on this. And so that original group of people that were – or doing the parties during the summer um, every other weekend I brought it up with them first being like yep 
school starting, like, can we, like, let, let's all just go to the on our first day. There's, like, first day event wherever all the first freshmen come, and they're all there for the first day. So I was like, let's just go to the quad and, like, trip and, like, have fun on the quad and show people what life's really about. And so we did that, and it was just, like, a hit, and it just, like, blew up from there. And it took us like a year before I actually learned what flow was. I'll go back into like what the group was and how I grew it, um, what the main idea was. But I want to answer your question first of like what is. And so we went through this for like a year without me Googling flow somehow. <laughs> That's all you got to do. If you Google the word flow, it comes up. Um, so somehow I was... I had a whole club named URI Flow, but I never searched the word flow. I just felt like I knew it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I reason to search it, what it was. It was fun. It was play. It those was, who know don't talk. You, those who talk don't know. <laughs> you just knew. You're, I, don't need, I don't even know. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> it, it, it. It means something, though, right? Yeah. You ever stood on a slack line and wiggled and then felt like you weren't even there? Like, yeah. that's flow. Like, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Now moving on. We don't even need to talk more about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I'll give the actual definition first. A uh, little segment of what I learned when I did my research eventually because it was pretty awe-striking. And I like to use it now when I'm explaining it to people for the same reason I like to teach people how to juggle and not just let them learn how to juggle. Um, because I can show them how to juggle in five minutes and then we can start doing it instead of having them wait six months while they like figure out like, Oh, oh, to throw the next ball. Oh, I need to space my balls out. It's not up. Like all these little mistakes, like take a while for dinner for me when I was learning them, but I can get you through them in like an hour. If you, if you have pretty high coordination and then we can start doing some real cool shit with it. So the same reason I like to not mind flow, but try to, if they have, where I like to think about stuff, um, teach, explain what flow is, where it comes from, why it's a thing. Okay, so I'm gonna try to do that as briefly as possible. <laughs> okay, because it's a lot. Um, and drop some names. So if you want to find more, go look up Stephen and Jamie Wheel. Who's the first the person? Me high chicks and me high. Just the book's called Flow by Me High Chicks and Me High. He's the guy that named it. Um, and then, uh, uh, they wrote a book called stealing fire and the rise of Superman first and then stealing fire. Those go over really well. Um, who was the first person? Who was the first person? Who was the first person you said, Jason? Uh, Steven Kotler and, uh, Jamie wheel. Jason Silva worked with them for, for a little bit. Company kind of fell apart. I don't know how much they're still doing, but they had some good work for a um, and so the idea behind it from Mihai Checks and Mihai is flow is, flow is a state and it is, it is named after the way it, when you are in flow, you feel flowy. That's for a very specific psychological reason. Um, so the, the original data was kind of unclear about like what is happening in the mind. Because it was like a hundred years ago when they first did their grand psychology study on the subject, and the question was, "Do you feel your best? When do you perform your best?" And the answer was, "I feel my best." 
when I when I lose of action, and every moment feels like fluidly flows from moment to the least amount of resistance. Time seems to vanish, and it just seems like it's getting done, and I'm not doing it. Um, and that's what flow is. And the next question was, how do we achieve? Their answer to that was this simple little graph. It's a challenge to skill relate. And that's if, if you have high challenge, or let's start on the bottom of the graph. If you have high skill in something, say, um, let's see, uh, handstands, for example. So my definition is anytime your hand is on the ground, okay? The people can't tell me they can't do a hand. Um, all they got to do is have hands on the ground. And now I'm like, you're great, you're doing a hand. And that's, that's me That's me trying to utilize the, the flow skill challenge relationship. Got it. Okay? You have high skill and you're doing a task that is no challenge. Mortal. Right. So something like uh, folding laundry. Very low. Like unless you're trying to be perfect at it and make it like awesome, like a hotel, like laundry folder, very low skill activity. But you might be a very high skilled person. It's boring task for you. It's not engaging for you. Like uh, so it it resonates as boring. But what it also does is it allows you to know that you can accomplish the task that you you were set out to do. So when you do your laundry you finish it and you accomplish it. So no matter how boring it was, your mind on the end had a little uh, adrenaline boost because you caused order in a world uh, you manifested your reality into what it was. So you got a dopamine because that's what happens when we do stuff. Anytime we accomplish a task, we get dopamine from it. Mm -hmm. um, well, don't get that. They're low on dopamine, so they don't get that boost. So every they can do stuff, but it still feels awful. And that's where that right. imbalance comes from. Right. Come from a lot of different. But right. um, we all get that throughout your whole life. Um, with the simplest, simplest things, taking a shit. Great job, you wiped your ass. That. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Got it done. <laughs> your butt's clean. Like it's like it's great. And uh, that's why I like taking them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it Dopamine. feels great. <laughs> so it's a relief. Like, yeah, great I, work, good poop, and it. Should, you had a good diet. Like, oh, yeah. like there's all words that can be inside the bathroom. Um, <laughs> the, the idea of flow is so now you're at the boredom stage, and so now you can start pushing that mm. at those skill bound challenge. Say, uh, folding active wires on a piece of paper and trying to glue them down, short circuiting them. Something stupid, like that's really dangerous. Like you shouldn't put these things that close together because if they touch, they're gonna blow up. Like now, now you might be in like too the skill of magnifying glasses. You don't have tools. Like you, you might be in the high part where the challenge is too high for your level of skill, and so now you're in anxiety, mm. and now you're gonna rest by it. At any moment, you might blow up. You go high enough in that in that in that uh, challenge, higher than skill area, you can die, and that's that's like uh, surfing a big wave that you're not ready for. Even a small wave, going in the ocean when you don't know how to swim, 
on a on a wavy day. Um, Do you also think that possibly like that's also when people quit when the challenge is too high, well above their skill level, that that's where they kind of go to the point where they're like, well, nope, this is too much. I can't do this. And rather than realizing that if they take that step back, if they start trying to go back to that basics, build on the fundamentals, go back to the steady state that that could kind of get back that drive, get back that dopamine response. Do you think there's also a part of that? Exactly. That that's how you use the relationship. Um, is the, like you were saying before, use the stress environment to push where you currently are. It breaks your comfort, your comfort zone. It primes your nervous system to, to then handle itself in a lower environment. Say you were at 10 and you can't handle 15, but you're trying to get to 12. Just go to 15 because maybe 15 is not going to kill you. 20 might kill you. But 15's just going to stress you out. Now when you drop down to 12, it's like more than 10 than you could do. But it feels like less. And then the other way around is if you have someone that's teaching someone and they're constantly holding them in anxiety, or you're teaching yourself with too high of standards and you're holding yourself in you're not learning. You're, you're activating cortisol. You're shutting, you're shutting down all your system. Like it's not a learning state. You're in high beta. Like you're not in theta. Like there's all these things that get primed by anxiety. Yeah. Like your whole, you go from, it always messes up, but it's a parasympathetic. Like you start going into a fight or flight. So your blood starts retracting organs. Like starts going into your body. Like all this shit that goes on. So it's only, you're supposed to go in that anxiety zone when you're trying to train and push something further and you're using it as a stepping piece to drop back from, or if you're trying to break records, you're trying to win a, win a sport, like the, the, the day that the event's happening, the day you need to best, see how far into that you can get, like see how far you can, um, and still hold your shit. And that's usually where people do feel flow is when you push that boundary, things feel like they should be falling apart. But somehow all of your practice has accumulated to success and you are able to operate comfort zone without a um, destruction or devastation of the system or, or like a failure. You're like, wow, that actually happened. Like like the first time you juggle five from going from four to juggling, who can't do it? And the first time you do it, it's like, wow, that like I was there for all five of those. Whoa. <laughs> so... So, so another thing, kind of like what we brought up on our last podcast about steady state and going back to the basics and fundamentals, as you climb on this skill and you climb on the challenge and you're going, which is never linear, but overall, you know, the dots will all mark up. So it creates some sort of line. Um, what's the importance and is there importance of dropping back down to low skill, low challenge and focus on that? You know, the way way I kind of like look at it too, is it's just like, um, like movement in general, right? Like you were talking about, Hey, I was doing all these high skill movements. And I think like we, we relate to that very much. So like I did CrossFit, you know, for over 10 years now and I got all my muscle ups and I went into weightlifting and just doing snatches and cleans and got really heavy in that. And now at the stage I'm in my life, I'm, I'm kind of into that, that like, let's do the slowest Panther crawl or bear crawl that I possibly can let's uh you know like we go to the slack line like we do like slack line we do do like all this the basic fundamentals because 
Um, you know, like last year, I didn't lift heavier than 225 at all on my deadlift. Period. Hands down, I go, I, I don't want to do that. And then I did a, uh, a thing, a fundraiser, and I still lifted 475 on the deadlift, never lifting anything higher than 225 and not even actually training that. But because I started doing a lot of this unilateral, slow control, basic low skill, which or low challenge, it seems like low skill, but it, it felt like it also pushed my skill level by forcing myself to kind of pull back and focus on the basics. Do you see a purpose of doing that? Yeah, so that, that is the only way to train, basically. That's the only way to get better. Um, Safely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you look at the graph, uh, I just love my math. So the graph is a, a general representation all things because <laughs> yeah. all things you're doing a thing and that thing is a skill skill has a challenge to it because you're, you're doing something you're doing some type of work move without doing that you can't breathe without doing that breathing is a skill like you know what I mean and you can be low skill in it but you can also be like a really advanced skilled breather that PhD master breather Wim Hof um, <laughs> you know breather uh, and so, so when you're trying, think of your whole, think of it as a pyramid. Cause like that whole idea of building our base in life is so important. Like you can't build something high if you start on a tiny little stone. If you do, it's extremely unstable. Like you might be able to accomplish it. Balance is a thing. Like I've seen some crazy, just like that shouldn't be there. <laughs> like if all you got to do is go like this. No, it's not. Like, so it's like, it's cool that it was an awesome experience, but like, it wasn't sustainable. Um, so we're trying to get sustainability. That's one of my main goals is, is coherent waves to stay, coherent sustainability um, from Dan Winter. And uh, the, uh, yeah, so it's just, so building that underneath, if you look, if you picture the graph as, it, it, it actually is a linear graph. It's not a linear graph that you move through it, but it's a linear graph of what it represents. So the bottom triangle, anytime your skill more than your than your challenge, you are in anytime the top triangle, anytime your challenge is more than your skill, anxiety. Right in that middle, the down the back line, down the center. You cut out on me for a second. You yeah. got me? Yeah, we're good. Gotcha. Well, yeah, so right down the middle of those two, of your boredom and anxiety, the two states you can kind of, I would say those are the two states you can perceive in. Those are the two states you, you, you have the capacity to recognize things in. So in boredom, you're doing something that's so low skill, I could be doing uh, calculus while I'm doing it. Like, I could be thinking about philosophies while I'm doing it. I could be thinking about other things that might be causing me anxiety. Like, maybe I'm acting in such a low-skill thing, and I'm in boredom. I'm allowing anxiety from other parts of my life to filter into the now, which is bad processing of time. Um, well, it's interesting. It also is a place of adaptation, too, that, that sort of optimal, that area there you're talking about on that line. Uh, a lot of adaptations, for the most part, they all occur – within that trajectory would you say you know um you yeah, can be would, working would, self-potential yeah. or beyond your potential and break yourself get bored and not want to do the activity again or you could be adapting and and developing those those uh 
those skills and reinforcing them. Yeah, exactly. So, so then right in between golden slack line, if you're operating in an exact zone for too long, you're going to need to do the task. And then, so now you need to have someone or yourself let you know that it's okay to operate in a low skill zone. It's not lesser to do that. Like it's actually greater to do that. Cause any, anytime you add to this triangle underneath, you're adding stability so you can step up higher and higher on your flow relation. Mm-hmm. Because the cycle of flow, there's a cycle that was later. So stage one is learning. And it's very prefrontal cortex thing, thinking about stuff. Stage two is integration. It's when you step away from the task. So that's either sleeping at eight or just doing a completely different task. Like I'm juggling work. I'm in the anxiety range working and I'm getting frustrated. So then I can eat up down into a new task, into the boredom zone, just switch to hula hooping. Do anything that's in the zone. You can get some eat and drop back into the alpha and the theta. Um, <laughs> then from drop into and then you're theta. there. And the unfortunate size and stage three is flow. Stage three is now accumulated so much data. It's so variance from trying all the shit that didn't work. All those throws that you missed. Juggling is one of my favorite analogies. I use juggling and slacklining the most because I think they correlate life very well. Um, so I, that's why I keep using throws and stuff like that and drops in my in my wording. Um, so you've used all this variance, all these attempted throws, all did hand placements, all these datas of you know that didn't work. Um, and now you've accumulated, it's working, it's working, it's working. You don't even have enough mental capacity. So brains only have a certain amount of mental capacity. And we do this thing called compartmentalizing, where, where we start by having broad data. As we get better at it, we can compartmentalize it. And that's what uh, driving a car is a really good example. First started driving a car, you were all up in you were you were there. You were you were you were it, it was out, and you were analyzing everything. Then you started synthesizing it, and then eventually, now you drive your car, and you're either in flow, depending on how fast and cool you're driving, or you're in boredom, probably, where you've compartmentalized car- everything into like, oh, driving. I could eat, drink, like have a conversation, like like all these things that you shouldn't do, but like you could do you're doing it because it's not an overburdened an unbelievable amount of driving more than when you're sitting you're going fast but like it doesn't matter because like you've organized it you know how to look at it correctly so that that would be either a flow state or a state and then afterwards the part of the flow state is that it turns to a boredom state because once you get into a new challenge area and you're in that flow your skill increases. So now you're below the flow state and you're back into boredom. Your perception of the challenge is reduced as your skill acquisition goes up. And now you're, now you're sort of met it where it's at. And now you're like, Oh, so that I was looking at it from down on the ladder. Now that I'm eye sight with it, it looks like yep. now I'm kind of bored. And that's also know, kind of like, yeah, boredom. it's also kind of what and- like Ido Portal says is that, you know, if you do the same thing over and over again, you actually don't get better at it because you're not challenging yourself. 
So he always says, like, do something that you feel uncomfortable with, get good at it, and then kind of exactly like you're saying, mix it up, make it diff- change it up in any way. Like you said, if you're good at juggling, try a hula hoop or, or something like that. And uh, it, it's so true, you know, like, yeah, you could sit here and drive a car almost with your eyes closed if you drive to work the same route, the same path every single day at the same time. But that's also the time that the brain creates the most creativity is when you're doing those tasks that you do on a day to day basis that is pretty much muscle memory. You're not getting better at driving by driving to the same path and the same roads every single day. That's, you know what I'm saying? Let's say, I would say you're getting more energy efficient at it. So, so yeah. every, every, every neural pathway in our brain has this like myofascial sheath around it. And every time you activate that pathway, that sheath gets tighter. And it's basically like, insulated insulation for wires so that you don't get interference from other neuro, nerves or leakage in your past. So every time you do that drive, it becomes more and more mindful. It becomes less and less of an activity for your body to do, like running a mile. Like if you were to run a one, if you were to run one mile on the same route at the same pace every single day in, in a year, the amount of the first day, the amount of, burn let's say it's 300 calories in a year you're only going to burn 100 calories 50 calories 20 20 calories like the more you do that same thing your energy system and metabolism is going to get aimed at operating through it and it's going to stop losing energy and that's why we stuck in ruts is because we're truthfully natural creatures one of our main goals food have sex and sleep but then we're also up in here, so we have all this creepy stuff. And so we're breaking nature. We constantly are getting bored of sustainability. Like, we, we can get our food, have it, and be here and be bored. But we more than we want to use more energy. We don't want to just be okay with that. So that's kind of like where it breaks. We are, we are getting at action, but we're not getting better at other action. Better at life. Like, yeah. And like, that's one thing that, like I always say is those people who go out to, they run and they want to lose weight. They're going to see that weight loss initially. They're going to be like, Oh wow, I'm running. I'm running that same two miles, one mile, three miles, whatever it may be. Like I'm losing weight. And after two months, three months, they're like, I'm, I'm not losing any more weight. It's, it, it's that same thing. That's why we're like, Hey, you need some sort of strength training. You need to do something, some variance. And that's why, like, I think that huge, like, um, you know, variation of interval training and all this other stuff that uh, is so popular now is working so well is the fact that it's constantly letting the brain adapt and change and use different muscles and create, you know, fire new neurons in your brain, create new connections um, and just kind of push that limit of the brain. So it always keeps that brain guessing. And like, there's always that debate of, Oh, you shouldn't do various, you know, variations in your training because it doesn't actually make you better at something. Well, you could argue that, but at the same time, if you do the same thing over and over again, like you said, I love the way that you put it. You just become really efficient at it, so you are going to create a less cal- caloric burn or something like that in your body of what you're doing. I think that's a, a really good way of putting it. That's that's almost like the opposite goal of what people do stuff for. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually, yeah. doing like burn calories, to like do something, but the uh, the fact is that if you don't if you don't mix it up, you're actually going to get better at not doing stuff like you're just gonna you're just gonna get more better at the thing you're doing 
where yeah. and, and you're going to become uh, more efficient at it, and that's yeah. that's useful on a you know performance scale, I suppose. But um, you know that's not necessarily the the conversation we're having here. We're talking about sustainability and fun and adaptation and. I've never seen a competition burns the least amount of calories during a mile run. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. You're probably not, we don't care how many calories we burn. Like we want to burn more. We we want high metabolism. It's like mm. that's what everyone high metabolism, not low metabolism. So and I really appreciate your perspective and uh, just uh, just to put a footnote right here for anyone who's listening who may kind of um, feel like um, hiring or for a trainer or asking for advice or reading a book on how to how to uh, take care of their body isn't useful. This is a good conversation to to demonstrate why it is useful to get an advice of somebody who studies these things or is really passionate about it like you are, you know, because there is, there is a good method for you, you, you know, anyone listening. And, and, I'll, and I'll even dive onto this and another thing too, is like, uh, the saying, uh, the truth is learned. It's never told or the truth is never told. It's only learned. Um, you know, I feel like in today's society, everyone is looking for somebody to tell them the right answer. Where's the scientific proof? Where's the, where is the proof that I have to do this to do it? And everyone wants to know, well, how do I do that? And it doesn't matter how much instruction you can give somebody. You actually physically have to do it. Like you could tell even a relationship when you're like, Hey, listen, you should really not be with that person because they're not a good person. And then you're going to be like, no, they are. And then months later, you're like, wow, that person really isn't good. But it didn't matter that we, somebody told you that. You had to experience it and you had to learn it. It wasn't something that you could tell them. It's not something that I or, or anyone else can. And though we can give direction and help direct someone's path in that way or, or, or put that idea in their brain, which is kind of like what we need to do, you have to fully experience it. You have to put in the time. You have to try. You, you have to just do it yourself. And there is no true way to get better at something. There's not a perfect plan to get better because every person is different in every way that it's something we truly have to just experience and try. And failing is, is, is sometimes necessary and it's one of the greatest teachers. And I would say it's, it's vital to fail at something in your life you know, to, to, to get better. Yeah. I'd say it's necessary. It's, yeah, it's the only push. Like, like you were saying, um, Andrew, the, there is no absolute way to teach one in particular, how to get better. And that's why I love house. Like everyone hates like binary and binary stuff is starting to like thrown out. We're like in the quantum world now, like distribution waves and stuff like that. But, both systems are harder to look at. Like these, the picture it is, is we live in a three world. So our brains can only conceptualize three variables at once. And if you try to put more on a graph, then there's no way to graph it. You have to, you have to cut segments into it. And it's paralyzing so they, for the normal person, the average daily person. It's paralyzing. If you try to say, I want you to live your life in accordance with these, these quantum laws here now. And they're like, I'm just trying to get up in the morning and <laughs> Go for a walk, you know, and drink a glass of water, you know. So that I really appreciate still making things binary to help make choice because because one is the same as the skill challenge relation. A binary question is an easier question than a quantum question. Answer the binary question. That's going to give me some confidence. 
And hopefully if I answer a binary questions and trinary questions, broad questions, maybe eventually I'll be able to actually operate as if I'm quanta, like, and, and do that. But for the sake of it, skill challenge relationship variables with one line down the is a really good way to generalize how to get better at any given skill. And it's just jump into jump into a when you can't handle it anymore, jump back to something you can do. Keep pushing that up until now you're back into anxiety. Waving back and forth like a slack going left and right over the center point and riding eventually dialing the control system into that flow state. And sadly, it's they call it the strongest drug in the world. You get like your five most powerful neural toxins or neural whatever. Hormone dumps, yeah. Uh, yeah, dumped in you all at the same time when you experience it. So we're constantly searching for it. Yeah. The only yeah, you're right. Conversations for car crashes for 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 your best aim. Like you have to do a ton of mission for it, and then you only experience it any bit, and then you actually go into this like fourth stage of regression, where like you're in all that it has, but like. Now the thing that you were shooting at, the part that you have you were shooting for is and you have no goals anymore. So you have mm. to you're back. Now you gotta push your, that, that's, your challenge. That's super, get back. Scotty, uh dude, it's that it's fantastic. It's 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 simple, but it's profound. So we have to we do have some listeners that are, you know, high end athletes maybe. Can you just repeat that, the last thing you said too? And maybe maybe they yeah. get to the top of their discipline or their or their their movement discipline or sport, whatever. And then they, they, it's almost like when you're at the top of the mountain, it's the loneliest place in the world, you know? Yeah. Can you repeat so that? You last have, thing? Like how to use the skill challenge relationship. You mean? Yeah. You, you had said something, um, you partially cut out also, but you had said something about, um, you sort of fall back down. Um, Oh yeah. Fourth, the fourth stage. So your fourth stage is, so your third stage is flow. Yeah. Your fourth and five stage is, is your your accomplishment basically it's it's when you finish the thing most people it is it's a very common study i think now that they they've shown but everyone thinks they're doing things to get to a place but the true success like bob proctor is success is the success is the manifestation of a worthy ideal the successful if you were towards an ideal not once you reach an ideal. You reached an ideal, it should no longer be your um, And so that same idea of the third stage is working on it. Moment of like, whoa, this is happening. Like these business deals are happening right now. Like this house sale just happened. But then once the house is sold, it's like, okay, well, that was pretty cool. Like you have awe, you have gratitude, but it's like, Right back over into boredom, <laughs> and 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 now it's like now what do I do? A house like how do I turn this house into three houses? Like now you have a new star to shoot for, and so so your vibration from anxiety into boredom all brief moments of flow. But anytime you achieve flow, it, it gets ripped away from you because your body requires you to do. To learn more, in order like to get it, those dopamine, to get that dopamine, essentially, yeah, yeah. you know, and a lot of that boredom is strongly correlated with dopamine. 
can't, your first heroin dose is your biggest dose. You get it. You need to do more and more and more. Now your body's like, oh, I've already done that. Like, I know what that is. Like, you need to give me more now. Like, I love it. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Interesting how, how that carries in. And then the sense of emptiness is everyone, a lot of people, when you do stuff where people perform their best, maybe more of their brain is active, but it's actually the opposite of that. And your prefrontal cortex goes into this term hypofrontality or prefrontal, uh, yeah, hypofrontality. And it's when your prefrontal cortex shuts off. And that's basically because your prefrontal cortex is for prefrontal cortex is for learning. Yeah. Of, anyway, prefrontal cortex is for learning and it's for stage one, but it's for inefficient calorically. Um, your subconscious memories are for stage three, for flow. And that is for, for accessing memories. Like, so when you're slacklining, slacklining is a really good example. For walking right now, I'm going to ask you a quick question. You're holding your head up right now. Nothing's holding your head up for you, right? You don't have like a rope holding right, your head correct, up? Correct, correct. Focusing on balancing your head this whole time? Absolutely not. That's just an action you're just doing. And it's more, it's, it's your subconscious doing that. But when you're a baby, you're like, going through all that variance, can't hold it up. And once you're holding it up, it stops being a prefrontal cortex activity because your prefrontal cortex is too slow for those type of decisions. By the time, if your head's falling, time you need to pick it back up, you've had, like, you needed to react four times by one thought. Like, you can't do it. Same with slackline. When people ask how you do slackline, you don't. You don't try to slackline. You just try to stand on it. And you're going to fall off. And you have to be receptive to it. You have to match its energy. You kind of try to control it. You got to let move you wherever you, you just have to be there with it. For variance, for the information, for the data of, yes, that was right, this was wrong. And eventually, it gets to a place where you're not thinking about it, but you're just accessing about it. And your body is just intuitively twitching to figure it out. And the twitching is happening way faster than any of your thoughts could happen. The only thing you can decide is, I'm going to move my hand here. I'm not thinking about how I'm stabilizing my arm here. I just know I want it there. Here. I'm going to push on it. I'm going to feel. Like, I didn't act what muscles need to act. It just happened subconsciously. I just master. I'm going to walk. I'm going to this. And then you have all these subconscious activities happening. As you get better at skills, juggling, hula hooping, fire spinning, handstanding, you don't need to think about how the press happens. A press just happens, like because you know you just uh, to press you lean forward, and if you lean forward and you have good shoulder girdle, you stabilize. And it's interesting discussion about the the use of the word you when you say you because you it, it could be dualistic. Is it our subconscious because or is it our our subconscious tendencies or is it our conscious tendencies or is it both yeah. or is it none of the above? And it's very interesting to see that. Um, you know, at, when you get to this that point of quote unquote mastery, you know, prior to flow a flow state or phase three, you know, when your arm goes up, is it you moving the arm or is that is your subconscious? And 
if you're saying it's your subconscious, then you're saying, well, I am not conscious volition. I'm not the person doing anything. It's doing, you know, it's a more nuanced way to look at it, but it's interesting. Think of it as a, how a company runs. So we, we are, our body is a company, a company of organisms. And so you have different cells. Each cell has its own jobs. You have different organisms in cells. You have different cells that aren't even part of your DNA that are living with you, that are doing things for you. And each one of these, you're not necessarily in charge of. You're in charge of only in the essence of where do I place my attention? What type of attention am I placing? And what type of master commands am I making? What, when am I treating? How much am I drinking? When am I moving? Like all these different things, and that like the that's like the businessman, the the owner of the store or the company being like, okay, everyone, we're gonna go on right now. We're gonna go on vacation because you guys are great workers and you all need rest and time to to take a break. Time for your liver needs a freaking alcohol. Let's take a rest from that. And so you get to make that your decision. You don't get to decide how your liver cleans itself. Like, breathe, that's, that's, breathe, yeah. And, but you are still the company owner and the one who's in of all those crews. The same way you panic taking care of parts in an industry. As a business owner, you're still responsible for that individual. But that individual is doing its own. Mm. So is, is that you? It's, where where it's bi-directional. The, yeah, it's bi-directional. At the top of the company, running other people, or are you the influence and interact between all things? And you're, you're, like, you're, I love these areas of discussion about this, this nuance, like esoteric. You know, is it you? Is it not you? Is it bi-directional? It's it's co-creating each other, and it's it's they're interdependent and they're happening at the same time simultaneously, and it's a beautiful thing. Great. Because better. And the more we get into this rabbit hole, the more that anybody does, you come to a realization that uh, labels start to screw us up in and of themselves. Just just trying to pinpoint that you get to an area where there's there's no real word to use. It's sort of like when you described flow. It's, it's an occurrence as a happening, like Alan Watts says, you know? Yep, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a magical occurrence. It feels so good. <laughs> so scotty now that we kind of uh talked about creating your flow club at uri what was the purpose of your club and any challenges that you had facing uh with it as well so the um so like you guys mentioned at the beginning of the podcast my main purpose behind it uh i, I developed a little slogan that I lived, that I tried to live by. And that was, uh, URI flow. We're the most diverse and accepting club on campus. We do everything without the responsibility of doing anything. Um, and, nice uh, slogan. yeah, they, they, <laughs> I developed another one later, um, that I also liked, uh, URI flow. Uh, we're bringing recess back to college and a circus to the quad. Um, so those are our two, like, those are the two, kind of slogans that really emphasize to me and other people like like what what I was trying to get it at. Yeah. And then to start off the club, I had this one friend, Will, who 
uh, was perfect. Like he slacklined, he spun fire, he danced, he did poetry, he played music, but he was like this super woman monogamous, like like poly, uh, poly guy that would just like fuck relationships up and would just like make people feel really uncomfortable eventually. Like they would always make him feel like wowed at first and then it would always turn into uncomfortability. And so, like, I knew adding him into the group would cause, like, a lot of problems. But I also knew I couldn't stand by myself saying most accepting if I didn't first invite him. So, like, my first step for me was, like, yo, Will, come build this club with me. <laughs> the perfect symbol for, like, <laughs> diversity and, like, you know, <laughs> acceptance. <laughs> that was my first step. And that really resonated. Like, it felt like it opened it up, like everyone is cool now everyone is fine to come in this and just as i predicted it all blew up and and he caused a lot of problems which oh, is fine there's no responsibility here i was <laughs> expecting you to say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then but so throughout the group our main idea my main purpose was just trying to get people to build a community where you didn't have to do anything because everyone's imposing all of these things things that you need to do on themselves especially in a college setting um or in a business life setting like post high school like even in high school some people are really anal about i need to be this and all my focus needs to be on becoming this and it's like that's not necessarily true it's actually better to have other avenues to increase your self-confidence and show that you're a capable human being and then all of that and rest and practice will enable that stuff to actually happen better, faster, easier, like all of this stuff. So my main goal was to try to emphasize like we're not here to do anything. Like we're here to stop doing things first. Like let's all just stop doing things. Let's all come over here and stop. Yes. And then be still. You know, <laughs> I'll just chill out with each other and be friends and we can make friends and sit on blankets. Like I'd always bring blankets, like a couple of these like drug rug type blankets and throw them out on the drug quad rugs. and put back <laughs> all day and just like come back and see who's on my blankets like, like <laughs> that's a smart move you just lay them out and then you're like hey you're sitting on my uh blanket and hey cool you want to be part of my club yeah it's everyone like a, was it's like a bear anyway. trap <laughs> it's a bait and switch <laughs> but no real like uh switch you know because it's only like you're only bringing joy happiness and freedom to them you know and they're voluntary yeah. <laughs> a lot of people have uh problems joining clubs because that club feels like it's more things for them to do so like the whole time like anytime i'd introduce the club it's like hey this club's got no responsibilities you don't need to do anything show up at any time never like, <laughs> like i don't care like, they're just, like I, I need a i need a performance rubric i need standards i need something where's, Give it to where's me, my please. syllabus <laughs> yeah it's like we yeah. can make that for you we, like, we could we could do that but you don't need to like that was the great part is because that you could take the idea of once you had the stillness in the community, you could do whatever you wanted. So then the, the true essence of the club was a self-expression-based club where you would ex be able to ex freely express yourself and then have support from others. And then hopefully, if you recognize that someone else ha is expressing something that you're not able to express, a skill, you can ask them how to express it, and then you can learn, and then we can express together doing this or you don't have to do that you can just do your art while i do my slack line but we're still here and then so i'd be yelling i'd, I'd put up these swings so i i i don't i think i developed it 
there's this thing called rodeo lines when you hang a slack line like this but if you hang it right it works just like a swing but with different properties it lets you go to 90 degrees and do a bunch of different cool tricks on it so i'd put one of those up every morning too i'd come i'd put up a, put up a regular beginner slack line a hard slack line a, a blanket a swing and then my flow bag with all my props and then i'll just leave that there um and and then if we'd be there i'd be like swinging on the swing be like yo come come swing on the giant swing like we just chill and sit on blankets and make sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> and just like just yell random shit it's like me and my girlfriend we would i put her inside of my my like i put her on my back and we put a shirt over ourselves and then we'd run around and we'd be like Hey, we're Scoot. Uh, what would we call herself? I was Scoot, and she was stuff. So we were we were Scoof, something like that. We'd run around and be like, "Hey, we're Scoof, and we're part of you, Rock Flow. That's our blanket over there. You should go over there." And then we just run away from them. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, so I had a goal of uh, introducing one person a day at least to Flow, talking to someone new, and just being like, "Yo, have you heard of our group? Like, we're on the quad. Like, if you ever see ropes or blankets, like, just go take a break." And, and so we got like 500 members on Facebook. We probably have like 30 people on the quad at any like given nice day. Um, we'd have like Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas, Christmas dinners with like 40 plus people. Um, oh, wow. It turned into like an awesome, awesome family. But it went through huge fluctuations because it was a wave. <laughs> like, mm. It was so strange because it started with like, the strange drug people that like were into our psychedelics and just craziness and just loved our shit. And then we would either, we would attract strange people. Cause if you were too, too rigid, you would look at us like we were crazy. And then if you weren't self-conscious or self-confident enough and we didn't approach you, you would look at us as like an impossible reality of like, I can't do any of that stuff. Like, I can't hang out with these people. Like we talked to so many people that thought that about themselves. It's like, neither could any of them. <laughs> All of these people that came here, came here with no skills. Like they, they learned slacklining. They learned juggling. They learned how to spin fire, spit fire. Like they didn't know this stuff a year yeah, ago. Six yeah. Yeah. But they're sort so of we, hel held prisoner to their own sort of insecurities. You might say some of the and people then the hmm. was the super open group that we would draw. Right. And it was, well, it was so ranged from just like people that didn't know how to operate socially, uh, um, just like awesome people from like artistics to engineers to to farmers to just just the whole gluttony. We'd have teachers join us. We'd have PhD students join us. Uh, I had one PhD student in my early years because flow actually made me more productive in school. I learned that if you if you get to class 10 minutes late, the stuff for the first 10 minutes is still on the board. Um, if you run to all of your classes, you save 10 minutes between each class. And if you're ever studying or doing work and your brain isn't doing it and you're starting to get an anxiety, it's useless and less beneficial to stay there than it is to go do something fun. Yeah. So it's just fun. And then when you come back to it, is that thing was fun and neurologically stimulating, like juggling, slacklining, talking to people, engaging with people. Like then uh, when you come back to studying, you're actually going to do better at it, retain more and 
and just focus on things like attention inside the class. So you need to spend less time outside of class. I saw a lot of people not giving attention in class and then they would be like studying really hard later. I was like, why don't you just pay attention? I, I feel like that's I feel like that's a huge thing with society in general with the amount of information and social media that we have just blasting so much stuff at us in a nonstop way that no one finds that stillness anymore. So it just creates um, like a subconscious anxiety into the people and uh, they don't find that stillness in their brain, which is like taking a break from work. It's like your, your brain is working 24 hours a day and you're never, it's, it's like if you were to work 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, nonstop, you're going to go literally insane. Um, so you're going to take that rest. You're going to take that sleep. And I feel like with information that's being blasted and everyone's stuck to their phones, that's where people are. It's just that information overload and they're not getting that break. So like you saying, hey, let's go and juggle, let's do that. It allows them rather to focus on what 700 people are doing on Facebook. It allows them to focus on that one thing, which is actually getting the brain to relax. Um, it's getting it to, to have a purpose. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I look at as a, uh, you, you know, a crutch for society nowadays. And, uh, and it, it becomes like a spark for your, for your brain when you do that. And John, John Ratty, J-O-H-N, R-A-T-E-Y wrote a book called Spark and it's a spark. Movement is a spark for your, for your cognitive uh, capacities, you know? So if you feel stuck or if you're sitting and focusing for too long, um, getting up and moving and doing a physical activity is more beneficial than sitting there and clutching your head and getting mad at yourself and yawning and, you know, and just wishing you were somewhere else. And the one thing that like my, even my gym's motto is empower mindset through movement. So we're trying to teach people to build that strength of their mind and build their self-confidence and build the, what they're capable or like what they're capable of doing and also experience things that they're, that they didn't believe that they could do through movement by, by creating that movement and, and creating that stimulation in the body, getting that dopamine response by moving all of a sudden you're like, you know what, maybe I can do this. Maybe, maybe I am not afraid to go out and, um, you know, talk to that person or maybe, um, I can try this new skill instead of the fear of like, I can't and, and kind of help and remove that word can't from the, from the brain, you know, um, it's, it's definitely something that has our roots in, you know, I saw so many people go through that transformation. Like I was saying, we, we had some strange people come into our group that, didn't have some of them that came in didn't have the best self-confidence and some of them had very little or very hurtful parents that didn't help them like a lot of trans kids or, or gender confused people that were trying to just discover themselves and um i watched the act of looking at someone spin poi and having the thought wow that's impressive and then them getting to the point where they could do those things just completely alter how they look like spinning poi or juggling will make you stronger because you'll just be moving your limbs more and you're walking around more. Like I watch people completely transform their body, mind states and everything into like this healthy, positive, like, thank you for showing me this simple ball on string and <laughs> that there's is of how I spin it. And that made me feel more comfortable in myself because at least I can control this. And, and what's also cool about that is like even when uh, – so I bought a slack line last year and Matt and I picked the thing and tied it up into trees. 
And it's one of those things that like we're trying to like focus on how to do it and we're still like, we were like, all right, when we stand up and like we could feel the tension all up in the upper body and uh, not allowing the body to just be free. And it didn't take long, you know, it probably took me maybe an hour to two hours before I could actually walk on that thing. And what's good about it is, is turning on the proprioception of your muscles too. It's something that we could actually pick up relatively quick. Um, and, and, and overall, like, like juggling, like you said, it, it's not something that you're going to spend six months. I mean, some people might, but I'm saying overall, if you're, you know, if you kind of understand what you're supposed to do, you could relatively pick it up quick in, in the grand scheme of things. It's not like you're going to school for four years to learn how to juggle. Um, so I think it's a good, quick way to turn the proprioception of your muscles on and, and it immediately gives you that feedback of an accomplishment, which is going to push that dopamine again. Feel good about life and make us feel good about doing it again tomorrow. Um, well, well, yeah. well, um, so Scotty, you wanted to talk about, was it, uh, co uh cohesion? Uh, uh, coherence. Coherence. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll drop that real quick. Um, so the main, so the main thing that the flow ended up working on as a group was coherence. And that is taking different waves. Coherence is when your waves match. So if you have two waves and they're incoherent, when they match, they're going to amplify and energy is going to become greater. And if they're in discoherence, then energy is going to be high and energy is going to be low and they're going to destroy each other. Like they have those headphones that do that naturally, that, that augment the noise outside and match it with the opposite to make it sum out to zero. And, and then so we have coherence in our body with our cells, with our chakras, with our organs, um, with our mind uh, and, the, and the body and the soul as a whole, uh, and coherence with the earth and the sun. And we're trying to build that coherence because it's wave sustainability. If you get enough coherence um, and can build that aura field enough, you can cause sustainability, um, either just of your of yourself or of a society or of like an or, uh, organism or a business. Um, Dan Winter, who talks about it, says that if you build enough more sustainability and get yourself heart centered with the sun, you can project your aura into the sun at death. And then you can live the next phase of your life in the center of the sun. Yeah. I heard you um, describe this in one of your uh, YouTube videos, actually, in uh, uh, coherence now that I think about it. And you talk, you talked about the wavelengths. And when they're when they're not in coherence, they eventually get so large, and then they cancel each other out when they when they collide, right? Yeah, yeah. Non, non, non coherence. I learned things better by knowing what it's not first, and then I try to put it together. So yeah, yeah. it made sense. You can picture that as destroying energy, and I can see that on a daily in this park. Um, so, so first, the flow group had all those different personalities, different energies coming together, I had experiences of members of the group sexually assaulting other members, having to deal with the assaulter and the assaulted and their energies, um, people hitting other people's cars and like wanting to call the cops and being like hissed at out of like uh, primal like scaredness, like a guy like, like hissed at me. Uh, just like some crazy, cr crazy stuff like uh, just dealing with um, that came from ex trying to be as accepting and diverse as possible. Um, and now in the park, I experience this daily with, with, uh, with the homeless population. 
um, people in general do it too. Like I've, I've seen just regular parents and stuff do it. Like uh, I'll do a non-homeless example to give a better perspective to people. Someone was playing catch the other day and there's two, three kids and one adult. And I was sitting back and they were trying to play catch. So one kid didn't, didn't look like he ever threw a ball. He just didn't, his body mechanic, he would throw and his feet would be still like his feet would be perpendicular to the direction he was throwing and he's not using his hips at all. Like he's not taking a step, like, like nothing, like no, no throwing mechanics. And then the other two kids can throw and the dad, it looks like the guy, the adult is the dad of one of the two kids that can throw and the other kid's a friend. Um, and so he was like trying to get this kid to play and, and play catch, which is cool. Like, I like that. That's coherence. But then when the kid would throw it, he would say this statement over and over again. And he would say, can you actually throw it? Like, can you try? Can you, can you actually throw it? And I would just was sitting there being like, he just, he did actually throw it. Like I saw it. It, <laughs> it, it just didn't go where he wanted it to because like, he doesn't throw and you're being a dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. stand closer to him. You're trying to make him throw from really far away. He doesn't throw. Like, stand closer to him. <laughs> like say good throw. Like, like like nice try. Like something like that. Like something that builds the that was an awesome try. Like, something nice going or, on with that guy. Something going on with his his emotions. Something. <laughs> Not the that, kid. So he is he's making this kid like already this kid doesn't want to play. Like he wants to be on his phone already. So something in his life got him away from athletics already. And now he's trying to get him into it. But in doing so, he is demeaning him in the action. And I'm actively watching. There was energy between them. He did throw the ball a couple of times and I'm actively watching this kid be pushed away from this guy's energy and have the joined energy from the two of them be destroyed. Um, because of his discoherence in the situation, mm-hmm. uh, his unwillingness to participate now that the guy is acting this way. Right. Uh, other situations where, like, a crackhead is screaming in the park about how life is going and why she lost her millions of dollars and, like, w- what is happening to her. And, like, other people who are, like, not so schizo are getting upset at her for yelling. And instead of, like, saying something nice to her they're yelling at her for yelling in the park they're like stop yelling in the park you're gonna get the cops called on us it's like no you're gonna get the cops called on us the cops don't care about the crackhead the cops care about you screaming at the crackhead (laughs) (laughs) stop that like just go up to her and talk to her she's broken like like, she doesn't need to be yelled at by another person like like, (laughs) and it's and it's just active like trying to be yeah in a spot that can walk up to any energy and and i use the analogy with slacklining because the slack line has a set frequency on it you can't change it it's based on your weight on the location and when you're in that spot it will always oscillate at the same same time frame the amplitude might increase but the speed will always be the same um or the back the tempo will always be the same and so you get on it you can't try to control it You have to match the energy. So when you come into another person's space, you can't try to control their energy. You have to match their energy. And there's so many people who are like, I'm higher energy. All these people are so bad and terrible and fuck all Trump supporters are all awful. Like, and it's like, well, no, no, they're not. Like, what are you going to do? Kill them? (laughs) How are you going to, is that going to solve your That's the attitude. 
Yeah. Like, you got to go join them. You need to be able to walk up to that guy. Like, I had, a, I had an opportunity in Montana where I went to a biker bar and there was this guy named Steve who was like an asshole. He was a biker gang asshole. And he announced how big of an asshole he was every time and how free he was with sharing his asshole opinions and how much of a fucktard everyone else was. And me and my girl are just like, ah, oh, that's cool. Like, like, what's up? And eventually he asked us if we smoke weed and we were like, yeah. And so he was like, cool. You want to come back to our place, like my place and smoke? And we were like, Hmm, should we follow this 65-year-old biker who told us that like he's dangerous and that he's the thing our parents warned us about to his house who's like acting like an asshole? It's like, yeah, probably. And so we go there, and he's like the sweet <laughs> makes us chili and cornbread, and he's like, he like is my girlfriend a bowl? And he's like, do you want any crackers with that? <laughs> Sounds like and he was trying to impress some people in the bar. His ego. No, no. There, he, there was one. There was us and one girl in the bar that oh, he like it. had like, sexual relations with, and he was just telling her how shitty her breath smells because she still smokes cigarettes. And she was like, "You used to smoke cigarettes like two months ago." And he's like, "Yeah, well, I don't anymore, and you smell like shit." <laughs> um, my conclusion is he just doesn't want people to. He doesn't want to put out a an energy to make people accept him. He just wants to put out his energy. And then anyone that accepts him is cool. And so he's just really attempting to push people away. So he knows anyone who's not pushed away is cool. There's like uh, Joe Rogan has a, uh, one of his podcasts. He talks with a guy, I, th- I forget his name is Daryl, Daryl something, but he's a, uh, he's this black musician and he was in Maryland and um, he wanted to talk with one of the leaders of the KKK. And um, it's a really, really interesting story. You can even look it up on YouTube. It's like a 12 minute video. But uh, he talks about it that like, he ended up finding somebody who knew this guy, knew where he lived. And the guy's like, listen, if you go there, he's gonna kill you. Like this guy is dead, uh, deadly, you know, and so on and so forth. So he finds a way to go to this bar where he hangs out and all the other KKK members hang out. And he knows that like the first two booths are for the KKK members. So what he does on purpose is he goes and he sits in the booth so he could figure out who's KKK rather than a black guy walking into the bar and be like, hey, who's part of the KKK? So he ends up um, not finding him that night, but he ends up having his like secretary, who's this white girl, set up a meeting for an interview that wanted to talk, talk with him. So he goes and he meets this guy in a hotel room. The guy's got a bodyguard who's got a gun and everything like that. And the, uh, the guy, the, the KKK leader sits down and tells him that he knows where he lives. And then this black guy, um, Daryl Davis is his name. Um, he goes and he goes, oh yeah, and you live at this location. So he instantly built the thing that says, hey, I know where you live, you know where I live. And he thought it was really weird that this guy knew where he lived. Come to find out, um, Daryl Davis lived right down the road from one of the guys who was in the KKK. But it's very interesting because they have this entire conversation and it turns out that Daryl Davis ends up becoming really close friends with the leader of the KKK, Grand Wizard. And the guy actually leaves the KKK as well, along with many other members. And they're like best friends. They're cooking like food together. They're hanging out together. And it was like that coherence that you're talking about. It's like he decided to take that step to rather than hate this guy, to sit and talk to him and listen to him and have the guy say what he wants to say. And at the same time, it was a, it was a time for him to prove that, hey, I'm a black guy and I still have a big heart. 
and I care for people. And it's just, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. Rather than the people who always want to just continue to pick a fight and show how tough they are or like, you know, prove somebody wrong. Tough isn't cool anymore. It's like, I'm more spiritually adept is like, what's cool now. It's like, what, what dimension are you living in? Like, like, oh, you're still in the 3D world and you don't recycle? Like, you're a terrible person. It's like, no. It's like, go listen to Alan Watts. Like, that's you. Like, that's you. Like, everything in your mirror, everything outside of you is you. Like, you don't like it. You need to go match it. And then you need to try to bring it to you. And if you're not able to coherently match that energy without getting upset and pushing it away or getting that energy upset and having it walk away from you, then you have things to work on, not that person. Like, exactly. And it like really ties into the fact that like, you know, when people are afraid to talk about like things that they like or are afraid to, to speak up, you know, like I'm a person that always says you can tell me anything because I, I don't I, I got to the point in my life where I don't judge. I don't judge because I've never walked a mile in your shoes. I've never grew up in the childhood that you grew up that made the decisions that you made in your life that's been introduced to the things that happened in your life, uh, the experiences and everything that's happened. And it's very easy for us to kind of like a point a finger and be like, well, look at this person. But you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like, Hey, you know, if, if you are weird, it's okay. I'm a weird individual. I am, I'm a weird individual and that's okay. And I'm just, you know, I'm the same thing like you, Scott, it's just like, I am the weird person that walks into a liquor store barefoot, you know, like, and people are like, what, what, what the hell is this? You know, but that's okay. That's who I am. And if you don't like that, that's fine. Like, I don't judge you for not liking me. I don't judge you, don't you like for judging me because that's, that's what life is. We're all allowed to have that. And, and if you get to that point in life and I'm, you know, and at the same time, I'm not at this peak of this mountain. That's like, Hey, look at me. You should all be like me. We're all at different learning stages in life. And we're all at different like perspectives and the more perspectives that we can take in and try to experience and try, the more we learn from that. So like, you know what? I sat and watched, you know, like ballet classes I've watched on YouTube. Why? Because I don't know anything about them. I don't. But you know what? I could probably learn something, even though it's nothing that like I really piqued my interest. I didn't like watching golf. I sat and watched golf to learn something. Uh, I knew nothing about Tour de France and I learned to love the Tour de France. Once you start understanding, oh, this is boring watching people ride a bike for three hours. Yep, there's like a lot of technique. There's a, there's so much to it, but we get this closed minded that I don't like this and I don't want to experience it. So let me just judge it and move on. And life is so much better when you just start accepting things and letting people be people and trying to like build that relationship rather than always being like that you're the antichrist and the devil because your opinion doesn't like, you know, affect me, you know? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta keep that coherence and receptivity. It's, it's, it's a shame. And, and but it's, it's, I mean, it's really not either. Cause no, yeah. other people that I'm trying to reach now and try to get their contact, be like, yo, like don't yell at that person. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, human relations 101 or psychology 101, or if you want to put it in terms of, uh, in college terms, class terms, we're just, it's just, um, basic. It's, it's really basic. You know, it's like a religion of kindness. Just be kind. You'll, you'll be, you'll be all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so before I wrap this up, I just want to impress you and let and show you that and you can tell me if you agree with this or not. This has to do with our first topic of discussion, our flow um, sort of skill acquisition, I call it. Okay. 
Oh wait, this isn't gonna. This isn't gonna. Is that coming through backwards? Uh, what side of the camera are you on? Are you on the the face of the camera? Yeah, I'm facing it. Right. Scale acquisition. Yeah, that's spelled that right. Boredom. Dopamine. <laughs> Dopamine's on the peak. You keep hitting dopamine <laughs> as the challenges go up, but you go up gradually, but you do have to come down. Then you go back up a little bit higher. I like how you guys came all the way back down, too. Thank you. <laughs> so, so for the people who can't actually see this graph, uh, Matt drew this graph that looks like uh, small pyramids that are gradually getting bigger as the skill acquisition is increasing. So the challenge is increasing with the dopamine being at the summit of each pyramid and at the very very top is you know that boredom that continues on and stuff like that but yeah it's pretty good it gives me this vision of like you can build this tiny little pyramid like everyone thinks of like the egyptian pyramids like being this grand thing with this awesome golden point at the top but like you can just build this tiny little pyramid and then right. after you build one you can build a little bit of space next to the bottom of it and then build it higher and then just like keep building that base wider and wider along it. And then you got more levels to work with. Right. Like you just base with the level of the height of your pyramid. Yeah. And now you can pyramid. And that's like exactly what your, your drawing looks like. It's like, oh, okay, we got this pyramid. Let's go back down. Put more on the base. Yeah. Let's go back. Got a bigger pyramid. Let's well, go back I, down. I learned a lot it's, from you, Scotty. Yeah. I really uh, I respect your spirit and your passion and, and what you do. And um, I'm happy that um, right now in this part one, we might call you've shared um, your experience with um, just your life in general, but also your, your kind of what you stand for and, and promote and live by in terms of your movement and your, your flow, um, like how you define flow and your history as it relates to flow. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. just enjoyed it a lot. I did. So one thing, one thing that we'll do uh, too, we'll let you uh, plug all your information as well. But before that, we ask all of our guests. We say, uh, what is one thing that you can give our listeners that they can do today to help improve their life, whatever it may be. What is something they could do today to make their life better? Okay, I'm sure everyone can go find a stick. Okay, so. Go find a type of stick, pretty long, longer than your forearm. The more mass, the better, not too much mass. A broom works great, okay? So you take, if you're using a broom, you take the, the broom part and put it up and take the, the bottom of the stick and put it in the, the palm of your hand. Hold the, the, the top of the stick with another hand and then release the top and balance that stick, okay? Just... Move your hand around and be receptive with it. See, see what that stick requires from you for it to stand in your hand with only the base being underneath it. And it's just an act of receptivity, playfulness, playful creation. The amount that you can do with your broom at home is endless. Okay, you could, you could take all the threads out and you can weave a basket. You could break it and you could... You could, you could do a ton of stuff. You could, you could study it. You could do mechanical engineering on your broom. Like, so, so boredom is an option, and boredom is a state you choose to be in. It never needs to be there. If it's not there, it, I would say lacking a little bit of creativity and imagination, and you think the world is, like, solved 
and there aren't any problems or questions and, and evaluate that and start with the broom on your hand. Put the broom on your hand and see if you can balance it and ponder, ponder that action. <laughs> that's, see how that makes that's awesome. That's a really good one. I like that. I love, I love hearing these people's ideas because everyone has been different. No one has ever repeated one, which is really cool. But, uh, Scott, we're definitely going to put you on because we kind of just talked about uh, your, you know, your flow uh, class or URI and a couple other things. We definitely want to hear about your story of your travels out west, uh, living out of your vehicle and surviving out in, in the wild. And I, I'd say call, call it the wild, but surviving um, in an environment that allows you to live in the present and truly do what you want to do and not be, you know, restricted by uh, a location, a job, uh, and especially by, you know, all the fancy materialistic things and so on and so forth. So we definitely going to get you back on here to talk about that. But uh, let's get some people to go check your stuff out. So um, give, us yeah. all, give us all your information so people can follow you, look you up, kind of see what you're about, and uh, put a face to, uh, to the voice. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting again because the – my past is, is interesting and it's definitely what made me who I am, but I would say my present is more exciting. The, the trip I just took was awesome. This winter and living in this park is awesome. And my goals of, of bringing engineering to bring health to people and teaching people how to unleash their potentials and unlock coherence with themselves and others is, is, really, is really where my true passion is. So I have a couple things online where you can find some of that information. You already mentioned my website, becometheflow.com, because, you know, we all got to become the flow. And you can find that same YouTube page, Become the Flow. You search that, you'll find my YouTube page, um, which is a growing page. It has just a few videos on it right now. It's going over how to live in the CRV a little bit, some movements, how to do some things, and some philosophies. Um, my main goal of that is to share information that I want to share, but also share information you want to hear or you're interested in. So if anyone ever drops a comment on there, my email, my Facebook, my Instagram, anywhere asking for a video, a video will be up in like a day or two days on that subject, uh, short or possibly long, depending on how in-depth I got to go on the thing. Um, I love it because it makes me think about things that I might not think about and it just makes me know what people want to see instead of just putting out what I want to put out because sharing information for my own sake isn't really useful. Like I need to know what other people's goals are and what their desires are to know what type of information I need to share with them. But otherwise, the information is just for me and how I'm going to use it. Um, and then, so then Instagram is Scotty B underscore become the flow. And if you want to see how my journey was uh, on my 20-week road trip, Scotty B underscore follow the flow um, has my images and some of the stuff from that trip as well as following me into the future where I go, where the become the flow is more of a here are snig bits of my YouTube videos, here are some cool videos, uh, here's highlighting, like here's just stuff I want to show you guys, here's, here's flow. Where the follow the flow is more like, what, where am I? What am I up to? Um, and then Facebook, you can find me, Scott Botello, 
I think I have a Facebook page too, but it's super inactive. And then uh, email is becometheflow at gmail.com. Uh, I am freelance personal training right now. I'm doing mason work. I got uh, snowboard instructing got canceled here in Park City early. And so I found mason work while I'm looking for an engineering job. But I'm also doing freelance uh, personal training online and in person if you're in Salt Lake City. Online if you're anywhere else. I do behavior change, corrective exercise, NASM special, NASM trained. Uh, I'm a handstand instructor. Uh, what else? That's about it. Yeah. Well, to, what we'll do is we'll go faster. So just reach out to me if you uh, if you want to connect, you know, or if you want to learn anything. We'll uh, we'll put a plug into. We'll have links to uh, all your stuff in the description of this uh, of this podcast as well. So they'll have the links right there for you to make it a little bit easier for everyone to find you too. But thank you very much, Scott. Like I, honestly, it's been a, a a great time talking with you, and I really look forward to hearing about uh, your your current life and carrying on that journey. So for all of our listeners, stay tuned. We apologize a little bit for the audio. I know it might be a little bit tough to you uh, hear, and it might be a little bit broken, but. Um, this is definitely a really good podcast and I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Gaddy. Talk to you soon, man. See you guys soon.